0: What is up everybody, back again, another episode of the Fan Section coming your way. Uh, it is New Year, uh, we took a little time off for the uh, holidays and you know holiday season all that fun stuff. Got some really awesome Georgia things, got a sweet Georgia victory that I'm excited to talk about on this Fan Section episode. But, once again, this is the Fan Section podcast brought to you for fans, by fans from across the college landscape. Section 100, Section 300, bleachers down to the suites, we welcome everybody. Um, real quick, if you want to get into our mailbag, thefansection1 at gmail.com, uh, and then our Twitter handle is The Fan Section. So we do, uh, I want to kick this off real quick the right way, because we do have an actual official um, review on Apple Podcasts. So we are on Apple iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on all those amazing sites that actually host the the podcast. So this one, this review actually comes from... This guy's name is Duke's Achilles' heel. So, oh, pretty solid name. Uh, came on December 7th. Thank you so much for this. But it gave us a five-star review. And like I said, as promised, we will read a five-star review on air, no matter what it says. Um, this one starts off by saying, Paolo Benchero's sweating issue will be what takes Duke down. I'm guessing this is just all about uh, college basketball. So, um, he can't finish games due to cramping. Happened in Gonzaga game and then Ohio State. Ohio State took advantage with him off the court. And then he switched gears to football, talking about couldn't agree more about Kirby Smart officially being on the hot seat. Jimmy H. was in the same place but got the win. Smart is proving he can't beat Nick. So we're going to dive into a little bit of that. Thank you so much for the review. Um, you raised a really good question, something that I had talked about last podcast, about how Kirby Smart, if he isn't able to beat uh, Alabama in this SC title game and unfortunately took the loss, um, it wasn't really that great of a game. Uh, we can dive into that um, uh, as a... Uh, part of part of the game honestly um but today actually we have i've outlined what i want to talk about which is basically the semi-playoff games uh, they just happened um and then i wanted to go a little bit into um players playing Matt crowd got hurt playing in that bowl game uh was it meaningless some people say yes some people say no honestly outside of the playoffs all bowl games are technically now meaningless um i want to talk into potential college playoff expansion, because Nick Saban said some pretty dumb things in my opinion, and I'm not ever going to go against the GOAT, Uh, he is, think what you want about Bama, Nick Saban has a great football mind, but when it comes to his interviews, he's a little bit off the wall, Um, so I want to kind of dive into his quote about expanding the playoffs and how he's against it, which I'm not shocked that he's against it, Um, and also I want to talk about Sam Hartman making his case for being a top five quarterback, because he announced that he is returning next year, so... Without further ado, the next segment we are going to be talking about, like I said. So, Notre Dame does what Notre Dame does. They blew a huge lead, um, and I want to kind of kick off that by opening this amazing Coors Light by saying that I'm not shocked. Uh, Notre Dame got out, I think it was like 27, I believe was the score, Um, or 24-7, I think. Either way, it was a double-digit lead. They had it. They did what Notre Dame always does. They blew the lead, Pro- once again proving and silencing all the doubters that they had no business being in the college football playoff. If you think that they deserve that, this game should have told you otherwise. I mean, it was against Okie State. Okie State, in my opinion, honestly, probably would have been a bit better uh, fit. Maybe at the. This is where the the conversation will go later on, with the expansion of the playoffs, but. Um, getting into the Okie State Notre Dame game. Okie State played well. They never gave up. Kudos to them. Um, it was it was a pretty solid game. Not gonna lie. Uh, caught caught at the end there. I didn't realize that Notre Dame blew the lead. Like they talked about it. The announcers let the end were like, "Oh my God!" with like one of the greatest bowl wins of all time. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, and then I went back and saw the the first second quarter, and I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it wouldn't be a uh, fan section podcast if. Hosted by me, um, Alan, without saying something negative about Notre Dame. Say what you want, but I can't stand them. Um, moving forward, though, the semi-playoff game. So Michigan got dismantled, and nobody, including myself, saw that happening at all. I didn't think it was going to happen. I'm really shocked that it did. I knew Georgia was going to win, but I didn't realize that they were going to win like that. And I knew Georgia was going to win because... All the last two weeks we heard was the rematch, and because Georgia took the loss, honestly, Michigan had no shot once the clock struck zero in the SEC title game. And I mean, what I what I mean by that is when Georgia took that loss to Bama, knowing that they were still going to get into the playoff. They only had one thing on their mind, and that was Bama. Um, they didn't overlook They knew Michigan was a step to get back to Bama. They were totally focused all week. Kirby Smart actually canceled media days for the college football playoff uh, leading for, I think it was on Wednesday, that they were allowed to, um, the media was allowed to come in and ask players questions. He canceled it. He closed it to the media. He said, no, this is a business trip. We're not here to... Uh, mess around. There was a lot of distractions already coming from JT Daniels and George Pickens having the COVID-related issues that they did and they were actually be able to get back on that Friday. Um, JT obviously didn't play. That was the big. That was another big, big topic was who's going to start quarterback. Is it going to be Stetson based on his horrible performance against Bama? Is he going to do enough to beat a team like Michigan who had a really good defense and take nothing away from Michigan. They had an, ex- an amazing year and I was high on them earlier in the season. I thought they were the third best team in the country. They proved it. It was Georgia-Bama, then everybody else. And honestly, Michigan, and then everybody else. So really, um, wasn't wrong. Just want to point that out there, that the fan section has been pretty much right, right spot on on everything we've said, um, as far as highlighting, drafting, players, like all that. Um, so Google off our soapbox for a little bit there. But uh, Michigan got dismantled in the sense where Georgia just came out and just took their souls. Like, it wasn't even... After the first possession and I saw the field goal um, after the first points, I went around the room because we hosted a Georgia party here and I shook everybody's hand and said, good game, because I knew that the game was over. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, this game's over. Like, you don't understand. Georgia's here to play. Um, Michigan could have God on their their side as quarterback and it wouldn't have mattered. Like, the way that Georgia came out and played um, just – it would they set the tone early. Jordan Davis was unblockable. Um proved he was on a mission I think to prove the doubters wrong. I saw him play a lot on third downs and a bunch of passing situations and let's be honest, Michigan was in a passing situation honestly after the second possession that they had. Um so starting the second quarter because they were just down. So big Jordan Davis was in the game and that was another knock that I'm sure he probably heard in the media. He only plays on first and second downs. He's not enduranced enough. He doesn't have enough ability to play on passing situations. He He's not really a good pass rusher. And he's not an elite pass rusher, but, I mean, you're still a dude that's 350 plus. Like, you can move the center and the guard. You can put pressure up the middle. And quarterbacks absolutely hate that. Like seeing pressure off the middle is a quarterback's worst nightmare because that means the, the you don't have that pocket. The pocket's gone. It doesn't exist. So you have to you can't step up. You can't move left. You can't move right. Um, your checkdowns they don't you don't see them because you have a big defender in your face. So the fact that Jordan Davis was able to kind of take over that game from the front seven perspective and the Kobe Dean the, the Kobe Dean always does puts everybody in the right spot. Um, but I wanted to highlight Aiden Hutchinson a little bit. I actually have I have him as the number one overall prospect on my draft board personally. I think he's the best college football player. Um, but he was owned by Salier all night. He wasn't a factor at all. And Salier's a sophomore. Like, let that kind of maybe Salier's a name to kind of watch uh, in the next year's draft class, maybe the year after. If he has another, you know, year like he did this year, um, being a left tackle going up against Aiden. And Aiden Hutchinson, like I said, is the number one overall prospect. Like he, he's, be- I think he's better than Kayvon Thibodeau um, as far as his first step. It's lethal. His, uh, his hand placement is always really in the right spot. He's just a force. If he wants to bull rush you, he's going to push you back. But Sawyer had his way with him most of the night. Um, and it wasn't because of crowd noise or anything like that. It was pretty pretty I would say about 60 40 Michigan honestly at the the the, the fans um, at the game. There was a lot of a lot of yellow outside of the stadium, so I was kind of nervous uh, watching that game like as they did the preview of it. but so crowd noise wasn't a factor at all. Um, which was I think a credit to you know the Georgia fans and Michigan fans traveling. It's awesome if you went to the game. definitely hit us up. let us know how it was. Um, cuz it looked like it was an exciting game. And it was exciting until the kickoff, honestly. Like after that it was kind of over. But um Aiden Hutchinson didn't he didn't make a mark. And I I said all week, um if Georgia wants to stop Michigan, they need to stop Aiden Hutchinson on the first possession. They need to they need to set the tone to go right after him. And what do they do first play? They ran off off tackle with Cook and they took it straight toward Aiden. And they said, "All right, dude, here's our here's our I mean, our hottest running back right now Let's see what you can do with him. And he didn't do anything with him. So I think he actually ended up running him over. Um, So, yeah, that was a big play, Um, big key turning moment. Um, The other things that I wanted to talk about was obviously the Georgia defense having all that time off and being able to prepare. It was kind of unfair in the sense where you're giving a team basically two bye weeks to prepare for Michigan. Everybody said that Cade McNamara was – is this elite talent quarterback? I didn't see it. I haven't seen it all year. I just think he's a solid quarterback. I'm not saying he's bad. And none of these players are bad. I mean, they're in the college football playoff. That means you have a pretty solid team around you. Cade couldn't do anything, though. I mean, credit to Georgia's defense. They were able to put the clamps on him early. Um, got him rattled pretty hard. Um, and then J.J. McCarthy came in. And I want to talk a little bit about J.J. McCarthy. Obviously, J.J. is... The, Cade was the was the more experienced guy. And you're going you're gonna, to... Similar to Georgia's situation. People were like, why isn't J.J. starting? Georgia dismantled J.J. too. I mean, it, the only touchdown J.J. threw was because that they, the Georgia had their subs in. I mean, J.J. came in during the game and got owned. So it wasn't like it was totally J.J.'s game to lose. No, it wasn't that case at all. Cade came in, um, and they both split time like they've done all season. But if you're a Michigan fan, you do have a lot to look forward to because you have Robinson and you have J.J. McCarthy next season and that's going to be a pretty dynamic duo if you have any hopes of getting back to where you were and like jim harbaugh said at the end we're just getting started and i truly believe that if you're a michigan fan that the light is still there i mean this isn't you went up against a very good defense you went up against honestly got all 11 players will be playing on sundays like for Eleven different teams, honestly, because all of them could go one through eleven. That's how good they are. So don't take this loss with anything other than a grain of salt. Like it was really just, unfortunately, they had lost to Bama the week before, and you had lost when that game happened. Um, but like I said, JJ McCarthy is a very, very elite talent, and I'm excited. My fiance said a quote that she doesn't she doesn't like Tom Brady at all, and I don't I don't understand why. Um, but uh, she's kind of coming around on him, and she said, mark my words, J.J. McCarthy is going to mean that it's Tom Brady. And I was like, whoa. Like that's... She just saw one throw. And I was like, mm, okay. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I was like, perfect. And if you're a Michigan fan, that's what you want because Tom Brady is obviously the GOAT. Um, and kids, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, kids are coming into college level more NFL prepared than they have ever in any phase of the era up to this point. So JJ McCarthy is a, definitely a highlight. they will throw that touchdown at the end. Yeah, it was against the, the Georgia subs. But that's a Georgia defense that likely is going to be next year. So that's good to know too. Um Moving forward, the offense for Georgia, Uh big question mark around the quarterback situation. Can Setson Bennett do what he actually did against Michigan? And the question was, you know, it was a question mark. They didn't know if he could or couldn't. Um, I think he could. I mean, obviously he proved it. Um, I, I'm still not high on him. I think JT Daniels is the better talent at quarterback, but Setson Bennett is still an SEC level starting caliber quarterback. You know what I mean? And he proved it against Michigan. Um I wasn't one of the ones that was like so negative on him that like it had I didn't want to, like I wanted him off the team. No, he's been a very capable backup. To me, he's a backup, JT Daniels is the starter. But the fact is, now he's taken over that mantle. He's definitely the starting quarterback of Georgia. There's no debate um, at all. So, yeah, having said all that uh, about the Georgia Michigan game, um, you know, real quick, just to to re-highlight what I was talking about. Georgia defense came to play. Georgia offense was unstoppable. Uh, Sessa Bennett had a lot of haters that he proved wrong. Um, And then Michigan, they're still, you you had a wonderful season. Uh, Sucks. Somebody had to lose that game, honestly, Um, but that game was lost when Georgia lost to Bama. Moving forward, though, we have the Bama versus Cincinnati game. I said earlier, I think Bama's going to, the closest Cincinnati will come will be 14 points, um, and that's a win for them. It'll be, you know, Bama by 14. Uh, It was more than that. Bama, I'm actually shocked that Bama didn't drop 40 on them in the first half. Like, they were moving the ball. And the 3-3-5 that Cincinnati runs is designed. People, like, I want to just say this real quick. It's not designed to stack the box. The 3-3-5, you have three down linemen, three linebackers that give you uh, in the, the five corners. And really, the, they're honestly, they're two. They call them the robber positions. They're basically two strong safeties on the field. Um, it gives you an advantage on any passing situation, honestly, um, because you're running zone most of the time. Your strong safeties are fast enough and big enough that the way you can cover the tight ends are not a factor. It gives you your linebackers a free A through C gap sound. So knowing that, now that you guys kind of understand that, the 3-3-5 is meant to let you move the ball between the 20s. If you, They don't care that they were moving the ball between the 20s. Now what I found really interesting was when Bama got into the red zone, which is past the 20, they couldn't punch it in right away they scored yes i know that bama still scored but they struggled to score meaning bryce Young had to make some incredible throws and they stopped running the ball why because the 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 red zone scheme the 335 they were able to bring the they were able to actually technically stack the box with honestly 10 at that point Because Bama did a lot of bunch formations, giving the advantage to the 3-3-5 defense. Um, Meaning that they had everybody kind of in that spot within eight yards off the ball, giving them a chance to read and react to the run play. They were able to kind of come up and snuff it up. It was only on those play actions that they were actually able to score. Um, So yeah, but stat-wise, Brian Robinson owned the night. Like, rightfully so offensive MVP, for sure. I'm shocked that he didn't have like three or four TDs, but... He couldn't break that sixty or seventy yard run, and that's why he didn't, because like I said, the three three five is designed to give up those You know, chunk plays, they were keeping everything in front of them. They weren't going to let Bryce Young beat them over the top. And there was a lot of double coverage and a lot of deep zone schemes that they ran that was, you know, preparing them. They didn't care that they were running all over them. But the halftime stat was there was already 130 (laughs) rushing yards before half, which was insane. And like I said, I was really shocked that Robinson wasn't able to have like two or three TDs on top of that. So, yeah, just nuts. Um, Really, really exciting games, honestly. The two. Uh, that uh, were highlights of the night. Obviously, Cincinnati's defense. Don't, make no mistake, they're still a pretty solid defense. I mean, they yeah they got rolled by Bama, but who hasn't been rolled by Bama? Even A and M got fifty dropped on them. You know what I mean? Like, so it wasn't like one of those things where the Bama defense or Bama offense isn't good. No, it's just the Cincinnati. I mean, it's Cincinnati defense. They were they weren't. They don't have the players you know, that, that Bama or Georgia do. And that's just based on recruiting, but this class that they have coming in next year and the fact that they were able to make an appearance in the, in the playoffs is amazing. I think Um, it's, it's kudos to the committee for understanding that they were the best team. I mean, you, you had Okie state, but they had two losses. You had, everybody's like, well, what about Michigan state? They lost to Michigan. Like, I mean, or they, they, they beat Michigan, but they lost to Ohio state. Like, and then Michigan beat Ohio state. Like, it, the only deserving team was Cincinnati because they were undefeated. I mean, you could make the argument Okie State, they won the Big 12, yeah, but they still took two losses on the season. Like, And then everybody's like, what about Notre Dame? Notre Dame almost got beat by Toledo, stop it. And then they got rolled by Okie State. No, that's not—it's it not a debate. The fact that they had the four best teams, and you can't argue that in the playoffs, is they got it right this year. Now, did the outcomes go the way you wanted them? No, but just because you didn't want them to get rolled like that, it's Alabama. They're going to roll everybody that isn't named Georgia. And they even rolled Georgia. So let's be honest here and stop, like, speculating. And that wh- that brings me to my next point, the what, what Nick Saban said, which was about the expansion of the playoffs. And, of course, he's not for it because he's Nick Saban. Um, but having said that, like – He's against the expansion, and it's a stupid argument saying you minimize – and I wrote this down because the argument was stupid. He said that you minimize bowl games if you expand the playoffs. What? The bowl games are already minimized. They have been. If it's not the national title game, it doesn't fucking matter. That's why. So the fact that you're out there saying you're going to minimize bowl games, name one winner of the potato bowl. If you didn't watch the Potato Bowl or the Alamo Bowl or the Chick Fil A Bowl or the Cheez It Bowl, I guarantee I don't even know who played in those games. That's the point. They're already minimized. If you expand the playoffs, you get six more bowls, at least. Because I'm saying if you go to eight, you're gonna have six more bowls. Those bowl games will be the New Year six, and then two year two probably rolling or constantly uh, you know rolling bids for the next two spots. Or if you go to twelve, that's twelve total bowl games, inc- including the national title, and then they'll rotate between the New Year's six. Who gets to host it? That means that there's twelve bowl games. That out of the two, honestly, there's only two bowl games that matter. Which is, this year was the Orange Bowl and the and the um, I forget the other bowl that they. I forget the name of the bowl that they played in. Or the peach was it Peach Bowl? Maybe it was the Peach Bowl. Either way, actually, the Peach Bowl was where Matt Crow got hurt. that's okay. The point is, though, that these bowl games aren't irrelevant at that point. They're not going to be minimized. They're going to be, if anything, given a bigger stage, which is what you want, and you're going to bring in more money to the school. You're going to bring in more money to the bowl game, which thus creates more recruiting money and more facility money and more money for other sports in those conferences and those other sports outside of football that matter. So yeah, Nick Saban, you're you're, you're 100% wrong on this. I'm sorry. And I'm not one to go against you because you know more football. You forgot more football than I probably will ever learn in my lifetime. But the fact is you're wrong about this. It's not going to minimize anything. It's going to simply be if anything it's going to make things bigger and better for college football because you're going to have people that actually tune into some of these games that aren't just fans of the teams like it just doesn't make any sense what he said um so yeah obviously i'm pretty hyped up about that yeah, the fact that he was just wrong about that and i and i know why it's because he's the king of neutral site games you know and i say that because he wants less competition. If he could have his way, he wouldn't play in away game. The only reason why he plays away games, and he hates them, he absolutely hates away games because he knows his team sucks on the road, hence the A&M loss. But and honestly, every year he's had a loss that's been on the road. He's never had a neutral site loss, and he's never had a bowl loss because they neutral site still. And he wants—he doesn't want more competition. He doesn't want more chance for his players to go up against an Hoke State, a Michigan State, another Cincinnati game. He doesn't want Georgia twice a year if—if if it comes to that. If Georgia's not one or two, you know what I mean. He doesn't want that competition until the very end when he has time to prepare for him. And honestly, no coach should want that. But if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And right now, Bama is—they're coaching from top to bottom. They are the best. But this is the most beatable year since 2010 that they took the three losses on. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where it's like, I just don't agree with it. I think having him say that is kind of bullshit, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so moving forward, though, uh, I want to talk about bowl games in the sense of the ones that aren't minimized. And Matt Corral almost played in a bowl game. He rolled his ankle and got hurt. And this is the old, goes back to the old saying of... Are these players opting out? Are they soft? Are they not? Are they protecting? Should they opt out? Ball. Well, the list of reasons for and against it go on. But I want to bring up a player before I bring up Matt Krause, a player named Jake Butt, who actually went to Michigan. He was a tight end. He was a top five projected pick. He was the best tight end a lot of people have ever seen since Kyle Pitt, so that tells you how good he was. Tore his ACL in a meaningless – I think it was like the Alamo Bowl, or Potato Bowl, or whatever. It was a meaningless UN, a Michigan bowl game. Because they only won like seven games that year. He lost, he was he went from a first-round pick to an undrafted free agent, got picked up by my Broncos, tore his ACL again, and then the season after tore his other ACL. He's never been the same since is my point. So, yes, I'm I'm all for these players opting out. I think that if they have if they're for sure first-round picks like Mike Parsons who opted out the whole season last year because of COVID, and now he's tearing it up in the NFL, which is a good example saying that if you can sit out here and you're still athletic enough to dominate the NFL, I feel like it's okay to sit out one game and prepare for the draft because you're not only getting – people don't realize what you're doing to prepare for the draft. You're still training. It's not like you're sitting on a couch chilling. You know what I mean? Like, no, you're actually training. The thing is, though, you're training with – NFL or former NFL coaches. You're training with actual trainers that train NFL dudes. You're training with agents. You're tr- you're learning thing ins and outs. You're you're going to these uh, banquets. You're you're getting your name out there. You're doing a lot of um. You're getting your name out in the communities, which was where they need to be, and you're preparing for the next level. And if you opt out, you're just starting the process a little a month sooner than you would be if you would hit the Senior Bowl and all that fun stuff, which comes next month. So like I said, I'm all for um, players opting out. I think it's a good thing. And going back to this, Matt Corral played in the bowl game. He got hurt and he missed the rest of the bowl game. Everybody thought it was a broken ankle. Had he broken his ankle, I guarantee you, because he's listed as the second best quarterback right now behind Kenny Pickett, he's no longer the second best quarterback. He's going to go to the he's going to go in the second or third round. Teams will not take a chance on a first round pick, especially a quarterback, if they're hurt. They do not want damaged goods. Because once you get to the NFL, it's a business. It does not matter what your allegiances are, what your loyalty is. You are loyal to the the logo, and that's it. The logo only cares about the logo, meaning the Giants only care about what's best for the Giants. If they find a player on the street that is better than Daniel Jones, they will play him, guaranteed, 100% every every day of the week. The fact that they haven't, though, is kind of crazy. But – like I said, this isn't an NFL podcast. It's an NCAA college football podcast. And Matt Crow playing in the NCAA college football game could have costed him a first round pick and millions of dollars. And it might still. I mean, the fact that he rolled his ankle, he's gonna now he's got the image. Well, is he is he injury prone? And I guarantee you, a team's gonna before the draft process is out, Matt is gonna have that label on him, and he's gonna be asked by a bunch of teams and interviews, and, and people are gonna be like, "How's the ankle? How's the ankle? How's the ankle?" He could have easily avoided that had he not played. And I get it; he loves his team. He it's college. He, you want to play as long as humanly possible in college because it just means more. Um, but at the same time, man, if you have aspirations to go to the NFL and make you're you're playing college to get to the NFL. I think it was admirable, and I think a lot of teams are going to love that he has heart and he's a good leader, and that's going to help his draft stock. But his ankle might kill it, you know what I mean? So it's one of those catch twenty two things. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I'm telling you right now, I just already, already know the headlines <laughs> are going to talk about his ankle. Um, and real quick before I want to get out of here though, is the the fact that Sam Hartman has chosen to come back. I actually had him as the third rated uh, uh, prospect, quarterback prospect for my list. Um, back when I did the draft prospects, I talked a little bit about Sam Hartman and Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral. Uh, Sam Hartman made the decision to return back to Wake Forest for another year. Um, Wake Forest is actually uh, with Sam Hartman now, projected to be uh, uh, in the play in the ACC championship game next season. Um, so keep an eye on him. I think if if he's able to do what he did this year, and I I, was, I can't talk enough about Sam Hartman. I love Sam Hartman. I think this kid uh, has. All the tools you want. He's smart enough to do it. He went to Wake Forest, for Christ's sake. Um, he's got a stronger arm than people are letting letting know. You know what I mean? Like, if you ever just watch his mechanics and his footwork, when he sets his feet and throws, he's got enough velocity on that ball to kind of go through a wall. It's insane. Um, but he's definitely coming back, and he's going to be, and I'm saying this now, he's going to be a top-five quarterback in next year's draft. Um, you heard it here first. I can't talk enough about Sam Hartman just because I, the wow factor is there for him. And if you haven't ever seen a Wake Forest game, go watch some highlights to Sam Hartman. Um, Wake Forest has actually tuned out some pretty solid quarterback prospects. I mean, from Jamie Newman didn't play, but he was getting some love. Um, and now Sam Hartman. So, um, like I said, just real quick, I want to give Sam Hartman some love, um, making a case for a top five quarterback for next season. Um, and then... We covered a lot today, honestly. Like I went on a little rant about how saving is wrong, uh, <laughs> my traditional Notre Dame rant. Um, but yeah, it was one of the things where I just, I just had to get a lot of that off my chest, um, and I'm glad you guys could tune in for it. The semi-playoff games were, were amazing. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where it, it was a good week. It really was. The fact that the college football playoffs came and went, um, it kind of sucks that they're over. I'm looking forward to the national title game, especially as a Georgia fan. Um, But, yeah, so next episode we're going to dive into, I told you guys, I promised you guys I would do this, and I'm going to. The receivers for my draft prospect rankings are out. I've done the homework on them. I've done some research on them. I'm going to hit you guys that with the next episode. It'll be my wide receiver divas, all right? So thank you so much. This has been the Fan Section Podcast. My name is Alan, and I am out.